a Bible to open with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 9. Ecclesiastes chapter 9 is where we're going to be. Let me start by saying that apparently the waiters that I use do have a weight limit, all right? Um, so I did not use the restroom on myself. It is Jason's fault, all right? That, so, but Jason, I, I had to work real hard to get him back up and the water came rushing over, but it is what it is. Man, I, I, let me just start by saying I am glad to be a part of a church where God is moving. Not just where people are coming in the front door, but where people are coming to know Jesus and where people are growing stronger in their relationship with Jesus. Just reaching people is great. Getting people connected to Jesus, though, and getting them growing in a relationship. That's what we want to do as a church. So thank you guys uh, for being a part of a place like this. Let me say, uh, before we get started, if you are a member of Upstate Church Harrison Bridge, on the way out the door, we have deacon nomination slips, okay? Uh, do not walk past these if you are a member. It is your responsibility to nominate deacons in accordance with 1 Timothy 3. So I want to make sure you don't miss, miss out on that and, and walk by it. Please do that if you are a member of Upstate Church Harrison Bridge and not just a guest with us today. All right, well, if you got your Bible open to Ecclesiastes chapter 9, let me go from taking us uh, on a high point, right? We're all happy about God baptizing and God moving. Uh, we're going to go to depressed real quick by looking at Ecclesiastes. Now, if you know anything about the book of Ecclesiastes, you know that it is a strange uh, book in the Old Testament scriptures, uh, but we're going to be here for the next three weeks. And before we dive into it, I feel like I need to give you a little context as we work through Ecclesiastes, all right? Now, first thing I want you to know about it is this. Ecclesiastes is written by, uh, in, in, by Solomon, but he calls himself, in your version it might say he calls himself the preacher, uh, in, in other versions it might say he calls himself the teacher, okay? Let me just go ahead and say up front that I don't prefer the word preacher when it comes to Solomon because as we walk through the text of Ecclesiastes, we're going to find that, that Solomon, in a pursuit of wisdom, in a pursuit of happiness, does some things uh, that would get most preachers disqualified, right? Uh, in, in order to understand if there's a such thing as happiness in the world, uh, Solomon tries his hand at wild parties and multiple women, and just in general, in the preacher world, that's kind of a no-no, okay? Uh, so I don't prefer the whole preacher notion, but he is a teacher, and the teacher sets out to understand life from a human perspective. Okay, I'm going to repeat that because I think it's really important that you understand if we're going to know where we're going. The teacher wants to understand life from a human perspective. Now, ultimately, the teacher's conclusion is very simple. The teacher's conclusion for us is clear and concise, and here's what he would have to say. Life is pointless. Let's pray and go home. No, I'm just kidding. Wouldn't that be a horrible sermon? Like, gosh. But this is the conclusion he comes to. Look with me at first, uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 2 says this. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Worthless, useless, pointless. Has no rhyme, has no reason, vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? Answer, nothing. You're going to work for 50 to 60 years. They're going to, you're going to work your way up the corporate ladder. You're going to retire. They're going to give you a golden watch, and they're going to replace you with somebody who makes half as much money as you. What does man gain? Nothing. A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises again. Just day after day it goes. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind. And on its circuit, the wind returns. 
All the streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. Just life is just some meaningless rhyme that just repeats itself over and over and over again. Verse 8, all things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. Life is, man, life just makes you tired. Just never-ending, repetitive, just humdrum. The eye is not satisfied with the seeing, nor the earth is not, nor the ear filled with hearing. What's the author of Ecclesiastes trying to say to us? Life is pointless. It's all one big, giant rat race. And we all know this to be true, do we not? We all feel this in our bones. Let me just say to you, have you ever laid your head down on the pillow at night and thought to yourself, man, is this really all there is? You ever got in your car after a long, hard day of work and thought, this is what i got to do for the next 40 years? Let me just say, if you've never thought that way, that's great for you. You have a completely different human experience than I have. Because life is one giant rat race. You are born at a time you did not choose to people you did not choose. And then if you're lucky, you have a good set of parents. You grow up and you get a job where you wake up every day and go to a job you do not like to buy things you do not need to impress people you hate. And what, is that? what happens? Time just keeps ticking. Tick-tock, tick-tock, tick-tock. The alarm clock goes off the next day just like it went off the day before. And you wake up and you're, you're, it's like you are stuck in ground, the movie Groundhog Day, except this time you're Bill Murray. And then you begin to question, man, I've done this for 5, 10, 15 years. Have I ever made a difference? And let me just encourage you, most of us are normal. The answer is no. And then you die. And no one remembers your name. That's what Ecclesiastes tells us. Ask your kids this. Ask your kids if they know their great-great-grandparents' names. Two generations. They don't. Because this is the way the world works. It's one giant rat race. As Shakespeare put it this way. Some of y'all are like, I didn't know he was cultured enough for Shakespeare. Just because I'm from South Georgia, I can read. (laughs) Shakespeare says this way. Tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow creeps in this petty pace from day to day to the last syllable of recorded time. And all our yesterdays have lighted fools the way to dusty death. Out, candles, out. Life is but a walking shadow, a poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage and then is heard no more. It is a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing. Aren't you encouraged? Here's what I want you to know. We're in Ecclesiastes. And any honest assessment of life from the human perspective would say that this is true. Life is pointless. However, we're going to talk for the next three weeks about this. What if there is a different perspective? What if there was a different perspective? What if God did not create you for vanity of vanities, all is vanity? What if God created you for abundant life in Christ Jesus? What if God did not create you for a pointless, humdrum, day-in-and-day-out existence, but created you for a purpose of bringing glory and honor to His name? And here's the big question. What if you accepted that His way was better than your way, and you broke free from this humdrum, repentant, giant rat race that we're all living? What if?
So that's what we're going to be doing. And today we're going to specifically look at this from the perspective of what if we saw time the way God sees time? What if we counted our days the way God would have us count our days? What if instead of we just understood that we wake up, we go to sleep, and it, it just life is the way it is, what if we adopted life the way God sees life? What if we adopted time the way God sees time? Pray with me, and then we're going to read Ecclesiastes 9. Dear Lord, I just pray that at this point you would, by the power of your Holy Spirit, intervene into the message time, God. Here's what I know. I, at this point, I have done nothing uh, but confirm people's uh, understanding of life because, dear Lord, we all understand that this is what life is, one giant rat, rat race. But, God, I pray that even as we wrestle through this, we would understand that you have put before us a better way. And, God, I just pray by the power of Holy Spirit we would answer the question, what if I believed what God had for me? Lord, we love you and we praise you. Do what only you can do by the power of your name. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Ecclesiastes 9, read it with me, verse 11. We're going to look at what, Bible, what the Bible says about time from the human perspective. Verse 11, again, I saw that under the sun. I, all right, here's what I'm going to do. We don't do this often, but I think it's really important for us going forward. I want you to say this phrase with me. Under the sun. Say it with me. Under the sun. I saw that under the sun. Not over the sun, not beyond the sun. I saw the under sun. Here's the reason why this is important. Solomon is acknowledging, the preacher is acknowledging, that he only has a limited view. He says, And I saw again under the sun, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor the bread to the wise, nor the riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. For man does not know his time, like fish that are taken in an evil net, and like birds that are caught in a snare, so the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. The teacher wants to help us see why we need to adopt God's view of time versus our view of time. And the reason why this is such a desperate need of everyone in this room is simply this. Because from our perspective, from our limited human perspective, our view of time and life is that time is cruel and life is unfair. To which all of God's people would say from our human perspective, yes and amen. Life is exceptionally unfair and time is cruel. And the teacher wants to say, but you're seeing it from the wrong perspective. The teacher makes a couple of observations about time from our point of view that we need to note and ask and, and so that we can begin to see why we need to adopt a different point of view. The first observation that he makes is this. You can't escape time. You can't escape time. Ecclesiastes 9 says this. Time and chance happen to them all. Now, I love the way Solomon has worded this because the way he words it is, is time and outside force acting upon us this is really important for us to understand because oftentimes when we think about time we think about it as a phenomenon that we experience while that is true we also have to understand that time is a force that acts upon us much like gravity is something you experience gravity is something that acts upon you in the sense that right now gravity is acting upon you to keep you in your seat and to keep me on the stage it is a force that acts upon us we can see it by its effects Similarly, the author wants us to know that you can't escape time in your life and time is a force that acts upon you and you know where you see the re its results when you go and look in a mirror. Don't we all know this? And it's weird the way it happens because it happens almost overnight. You go to bed and you're 21 and you wake up and you're 41 
And the person looking in the mirror is not the same person that you saw when you went to bed the night before. And, and so in one sense, it happens all in a moment. In another sense, it, it really happens in a weird, slow, painful way that seems unrelenting. And that one night we go to bed and our face is perfect. And the next day we go to bed and we wake up and there's a wrinkle. And it came overnight. Listen, just to be honest with you, I found a gray hair in my beard the other day. And I thought, well, this is it. I'm dying. <laughs> We're, I, I, God, I love you. I'm coming home, right? <laughs> because this is the way it happens. I know where my gray hair comes from. Do you know where yours comes from? Time is a force that acts upon us all. And it's unrelenting in the sense that it just goes on and on and on. And here's what I find really cruel. It never cares what we think or our opinion. It just continues to move forward. Despite our obstinance and our refusal to accept that we're not who we once were, time marches on. As a matter of fact, let me just quote two great theologians this morning to to, as I thought about this, I started thinking about the great theologians and how they've talked about time. And I th- let me just quote one really great one to you uh, from my point of view. The great theologian, Tracy Lawrence. Anybody remember the song, Time Marches On? Now here's the thing. From my point of view, civilization peaked at 90s country's music, okay? Such that when Brooks and Dunn came on the scene, everybody else could have stopped. All right? Now you don't have to agree with that, but it's true. All right? <laughs> And Tracy Lawrence is trying to preach to us here. Listen to the scenes from this song. I couldn't help but think about this song this week. Time marches on. Here's how it starts. Sister cries out from her baby bed. Brother runs in, feathers on his head. He's playing cowboys and Indians. You got one baby in the, uh, in the crib is crying. Mama's in a room learning how to sew. Daddy's drinking beer, listening to the radio. Okay, I know we're Baptists. Calm down. All right. <laughs> Hank Williams sings Kalijah and Dear John, and time marches on. Time marches on. That's scene one. Scene two. Sisters using rouge and clear, complex, clear complexion soap. Brothers wearing beads and he smokes a lot of dope. My, how the times have changed. But baby was in the crib. Now, she, now she's worried about her skin. Brother was playing cowboys and Indians and now what's he doing? He's making bad decisions. Doesn't get much better with mom and dad. Mama is depressed, barely makes a sound. Daddy's got a girlfriend in another town. Bob Dylan sings like a rolling stone. And time marches on, time marches on. The last scene's my favorite. Sister calls herself a sexy grandma. <laughs> isn't, isn't that great? Yeah. And here, Brother's on a diet for high cholesterol. Here's what I love about this. That's, and y'all, y'all laugh because every one of you's heading there. I'm heading there. Think about ladies, at one time in your life, you're getting dressed up for the prom or your wedding day, and you look in the mirror and you think, man, I'm finally got it right. I'm perfect. And then you wake up and you're a grandma. But when you look in the mirror, you say, I still got it. And men, I love where, I love where it, get, it takes men because men, we're big, bad men, right? At one point in our lives, we're willing to fight grizzly bears, right? Like bring, bring whatever the fight is. And then you turn 40, and what happens? The doctor starts talking about cholesterol and colonoscopies. And all of a sudden, the fights in your life are radically different. And here, you can fight it. You can run from it. It's coming for you. Maybe, 
maybe Hank, maybe time, uh, time marches on, Tracy Lawrence hitting your thing. How about, let me give you another theologian, Dr. Seuss. How did it get so late so soon? It's night before it's afternoon. December is here before June. My goodness, how the time has flown. How did it get late so soon? If you don't feel that in your bones, I don't know. And so it just keeps going and going and going. And let me just share for you how this looks practically in someone's life. I, I've shared this with you guys over the past few weeks, uh, and maybe even the past few months. But, and listen, I'm young. I know that like some of y'all are like, you're, you're still a baby, and I am. I get that. But for the first time in my life, I've understood this phenomenon in a way that I used to not. And I think two things contribute to that. First thing is that 28 for me was the first birthday where all of a sudden I realized 30 was a reality, right? And like I know it'll happen again at, at 38, and I know it'll happen again at 48. But I just, I'm like, no, nah, that it, no, not me, right? Everybody else, but not me. And, and I'm okay with turning 30, but it just seems weird, right? The other, thing, the other thing that's really contributing to my understanding of this phenomenon is just how my thought processes have changed. Think, think with me about this for just a second. When I was hired, I was the young guy on staff. There was literally no one younger than me. Now, multiple times a week, I mentor people who were my age when I was hired. And we talk about things that they're worried about, and I'm not worried about them. And all I think sometimes is, dude, just live on. Like, give it a year. Give it two years. Another thing, another way my thought process has changed is I think about 10 years ago, I was pinching pennies to save money for an engagement ring. And I thought, man, every dime I can save, you know, like, how, who, who can I, like, cut 10 cents out there to save a dime here it was serious now this month i had to rework a budget a little bit to think about how what kind of percentage i should put in my retirement account to have enough money when i retire and those two thought processes are just not the same this is the one that probably got me the most i used to clean my truck up to go on dates I did. I, when it was a date, I you got to you know, take things to the car wash, armor all, get that thing shining, boy. Now And now, like, there's a six-month-old chicken nugget up under the car seat, and it's fine. Like, you know, it's not hurting anybody. It, it, one day I'll get it. Probably not today. Now I don't worry about cleaning my truck anymore. I worry about cleaning my toilets when I'm going to have guests come over. And here's what, here's what happened just in one moment. I realized, I may not be old, but I'm not young anymore. And time just shows no concern for that. It just marches on and on and on. And ultimately, what the author of Ecclesiastes says is, if you're wise, you will begin to accept that because you are heading for one destination. Look what he says in, in 9.12. The very end of it, he says, Man does not know at time, at his time when it suddenly falls upon him. You want to know where this is all heading for us all? It's heading for the grave. And listen, I want to say this to you in a way that maybe many pastors haven't been so blunt. But you cannot live well 
and two, you are ready to die well. And I want you to understand that you, sitting here now, unless the good Lord comes back first and busts the sky open, you will die. Wisdom accepts that. So the, the, understand what's happening here now. The preacher is trying to help us understand why our view of time is such a depressing one. He says, you guys can't even escape time. Then the second observation he makes is this. You can't control time. You can't escape time. You can't control time. I love what Ecclesiastes 9-11 says. It says, time and chance happen to them all. And I love this because from a human perspective, we would have to agree that most of our life just seems like it's the roll of a dice. Like it could go one way, it could go the other. Who really knows? Let me prove it to you that this is how life is. Is anybody in here who's over the age of 25, do, are you currently where you thought you would be when you were 15 years old? You want to know why? Because time and chance happen to them all. And what the author seems to be saying is that from a human perspective, it seems like your life's just determined by chance. There's just as good a shot what well, this happens as that happens. And here's the point. From a human perspective, sometimes stuff just happens. Stuff just happens. Think about this. A lot of our life is responding to stuff that happens to us. You ever thought about that? A lot of your life is you doing stuff in response to stuff you have no control over. Job loss, death, divorce, economic downturn, children's behavior, all of it happens, and our only option is to respond to it. We didn't choose it. Honestly, it just seems like a roll of the dice. One day you wake up with a spouse who loves you. The next day you wake up to a spouse who's leaving you. One day you wake up to a job. The next day you lose your job. One day you wake up and the economy's doing fine. The next day the interest rates are going up. And what happens? It just, stuff just happens. You're not in control of it. And here's what I'm really angry about if I read this text and I'm honest and I just dwelled, dwelled on it for a few seconds. Skill and effort don't guarantee success. They don't change the outcome. Now, I'm so mad about that, my parents are in the room. You know what they told me growing up? Work hard and it'll come out good for you. Right? Get and parents, don't be, don't be judging my parents. Y'all told your kids the same thing, right? I've been telling mine the same way. I'm like, what am I supposed to tell her now? Work hard, get a good job, try to be the top of your class, and life may go good for you. And here's what Solomon says. He says, the race don't always go to the swift. And you're like, well, Solomon, that sounds weird because I would expect the race to go to the fastest one, not the slowest one. He says that sometimes the intelligent go hungry. Sometimes you can be the best and still lose your job and have to declare bankruptcy. This is what he says. Stuff just happens in life. I, love, I, I thought about it this way. Sometimes the best team loses. Now, And I, I know this is, we talk about this a good bit, or joke about it rather. But I, I seriously, I love this time of year for multiple reasons. It's the best time of the year to me, but one of those reasons is college football. I love college football, and I love it when the air gets cool, and I love that you can just sit there and watch college football all day. Nothing, I, I mean, maybe a kid comes in there every now and then, you have to deal with them. But other than that, right, you get to watch college football. And I, watch, I, I will generally watch any kind of football. It doesn't matter if it's, you know, I watch Georgia, but I will watch uh, other football too, mainly SEC because that's real football. I knew that was coming. That was a joke, all right? 
that was a joke. But I, I love it, and I was thinking about just this idea of chance, just how stuff just happens sometimes. A couple of weeks ago, I was watching, uh, actually I had to, it was a night game, I couldn't stay up and watch it all, I had to watch, the thing, watch it the next morning. And I got up the next morning, and I was watching the recap of the Texas A&M-Arkansas game. Anybody watch this game? And Texas A&M, by a fluke in the first quarter, ends up tying up things with Arkansas, pulling ahead. At the end of the game, Arkansas is down two points. Field goal wins it, right? And so with a few seconds left on the clock, they send a field goal kicker out on the football field. And now here's how I feel about football and kickers. Kickers have one job, okay? If you have one job in life, you should just generally be good at that one job. The kicker comes out, and he kicks the football. And off of his foot, it looks like it's good. I'm like, well, he's made this thing. I'm, I'm watching it the next morning, right? He's made this thing. And all of a sudden, I don't know where, wind, I don't know, like maybe he didn't have enough leg on it. That football comes down and lands on the dead top of the upright. I'm not talking about the crossbar. I'm talking about the upright. It lands on the dead top of that upright and bounces back. And I thought to myself, man, what are the chances? And here's what Solomon says. Pretty good. Sometimes the best team loses. How about this? Think about success doesn't, and effort don't guarantee everything. Here's what that means. Sometimes bad things happen to good people. I got a co-worker, him and his wife, they're in their 40s. Two adorable kids. I love them to death. She heard the words breast cancer this year. It's been a horrible year for them. They didn't deserve that. Sometimes bad things happen to good people. And it all, if we're honest, just seems like a roll of the dice. So let me ask you guys, what are we supposed to do with this kind of life? Are we supposed to just accept this miserable death trot toward the grave? Categorically, hear, you, hear your pastor say this, no. You were not meant for a slow, miserable trot to the grave where going there and going there miserably is inevitable, where you wake up every day and you wonder, do I have any purpose? Is there any way I can find happiness? The answer categorically is yes, and that's what the author of Ecclesiastes wants you to know. Because remember, we said these words. We said the words, under the sun. We have to remember that time may feel to us like a thief, and it may seem like chance is determinative, but we have a very limited point of view. We can only see that which is under the sun. If we want life and we want it abundantly, we need to broaden our perspective, and we need to ask God to help us to see what is over the sun. So here's what happens in Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes goes on for 11 chapters about how life is hard and it's unfair and, and the best thing you can do is try to find happiness in the moment and then it goes this way the whole time until chapter 12 and in chapter 12 it does something miraculous. It says, I know that this is what it seems what life is like but there's a better way because in Ecclesiastes chapter 12 verse 1 here's what the scripture says. It says, remember your creator. In other words, listen to me. The author says, I know that life is hard. I know that it seems unfair to you. I know that you find yourself in pain. I know that you don't know if you can go on. But you're only seeing half the picture. 
You need to ask the Lord to help you see over the sun. So here's the good news, church. You can't escape time. You can't control time. But you can redeem time. You can buy back the time that you have on this earth and make it count. How do we do that? How do we make the time we've got left count? How do we get out from under the sun to see everything over the sun? Here's the first thing I want you to know. If you want to redeem time, here's what we've got to do. First thing we've got to do is we need to trust the one who is over time and chance. We need to trust the one who is over time and chance. Now, I'm just going to say, it may seem to you like time is unyielding and chance is determinative. It may seem like your life is the way it is and it was just all a roll of the dice and you've just responded to it and, man, it's just totally unfair and life just goes on. It may seem that way, but we need to remember two things. Number one, time is a servant of the eternal one. Time is a servant of the eternal one. And the eternal one, God Almighty, is outside of time. He is over time. And understand this, he is unaffected by time. Such that you may look in a mirror and your face may change, but God has never known change. And moreover, chance, this idea that life is just a roll of the dice, biblically speaking, that's a lie. It may seem that way to you, but that's not how life is. Proverbs 16.33 says this, The lot is cast into the lap, but every decision is from the Lord. Here's what, it, here's what that means. That men, they work, and men, they do different things, but everything in your life is not random. It is not by accident. It has been designed by God. Such that, listen, here's what this means. I want, I want you to understand that if, God, if nothing happens by accident, nothing happens by chance, that every circumstance in your life, whether good or bad, is an opportunity for you to remember your Creator. For you to say, dear Lord, under the sun, I do not understand this. But I know that you've got a plan that I cannot understand and I cannot see. And here's what, he, here's what I'm telling you God's trying to do. That through that, he's trying to use every opportunity in your life to draw you closer to him. And he said, get this, you don't have to understand it and you don't have to like it. But that's what he's doing. We need to remember the one who's over time and chance. Second thing we need to do is we need to remember eternity. We need to remember eternity. Can I say to you that we're going to die, and it amazes me how we're able to ignore this fact. For some reason, the human mind has a, an un untouched capability I mean there's no one else nothing else can even come close to this it has an unimaginable capability to imagine itself to be safe and secure and free from harm I want you to know the truth that even if you're perfectly healthy you're going to die you could walk out that door and die today I could I, I knock on wood or whatever I could die before I end this message like Time is a respecter of no one. But it amazes me that for some reason, we're like people on the Titanic playing volleyball on the deck while the ship is going down. 
As a matter of fact, you remember that one of those final scenes from Titanic where the old couple, instead of fighting to get on the boat, they just go back to their estate room and lay down in bed? And I'm like, why? The, the boat is sinking. But for some reason, that's what we do. We just, ah, oh, everything's good. I've accepted it. The sink is shipping. The, <laughs> you know what I meant. The ship is sinking. Holy Spirit left. The ship is sinking. You need to, this morning, run to the lifeboat. And if you want to break free from under the sun, the good news is there is one who has come to us from over the sun. And the one from over the sun... The very word of God who was and is and always will be has come to us from over the sun to under the sun that if we believe in him, if we call upon him, if we trust in him, the most amazing thing in the world will happen. That is that we will break free from under the sun to find life and find it more abundant and free than we could ever imagine over the sun. Will you trust him? Will you trust him? Finally, we need to remember what matters. Here's what that means. We need to live with intentionality. We need to live like we only have a certain number of days left. And here's what that means. Your activity in life should be what honors God. Your activity should be what honors God. So let me encourage you with a couple things. Serve your church. What better use do you have of your time than serving your church? Serve your church. Parents, let me encourage you with this. Disciple your children. Turn the TV off. Put the phone down. Tell them about the most important thing in the world. And I would just encourage you with this. You need to understand how it is you're spending your time. Because there's only so much time left. C.T. Studd once said, one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. When I think about this, it makes me think that truthfully, we all just have a decision to make. And the choice is really simple. As a matter of fact, it makes me think of the very last, one of the very last scenes in the movie Shawshank Redemption. Anybody remember that movie? One of my favorite movies of all time. And in that movie, Andy is in prison for a, a crime he didn't commit. Now, Red, his best friend, says, well, that's okay, Andy. Everybody's in prison for a crime they didn't commit. The only difference is that in this case, Andy really didn't commit the crime. And toward the end of the movie, Andy finds out that he's never going to get out of jail, that he's going to be there for the rest of his life. And Andy's sitting on the wall one day, and Red, who's played by Morgan Freeman, comes up, and they have a conversation, and Andy says this. He says, Red, it comes down to a very simple, simple decision, really. You can either get busy living or you can get busy dying. And why I agree with Andy, I think I would twist his words just a little bit. I would say this to you, Christian. We can either get busy leave, living for the Lord or we can just keep right on dying. Would you pray with me? Lord, what if there's a better way?
Lord, I, I have no doubt that at some point the foolish ramblings of a man have gotten in the way today, and I just pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would overcome my, uh, my insurrection on your word, dear God, and, and make the word to be powerful and holy and free from my personality where it was a hindrance, God. But where you want to draw your people into a deeper life and a better understanding of the life that's before them, would you, by the power of the Holy Spirit, make them unable to walk away from the call you've placed on their life? Draw us close. Because, dear God, from a human perspective, it may seem like there is no hope. Here's what we know. There is hope and hope without end because you have come from beyond the sun. We love you and we praise you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.